0: I hope that you are ready for this morning as we begin a new series. There's another announcement. Love Week begins next week. Yesterday, Community United Methodist held their Winter Fest. It's been a yearly thing for past several years. Next week, we have the opportunity to participate in Love Week. Love Week is an opportunity where we as the community gather together through Blessed Fruitland Park to serve and to bless our community. Um, there are multiple things that will be happening from 5K races to events taking place at school, uh, at the library. Uh, Bart's got teams that are going out that are going to be doing some work within the community. There are some missional communities I know that are going to be doing some things. There's one that's going to be preparing some valentines, I believe today and and taking those to nursing homes. There's all kinds of things. You can look uh, online. If you've got the newsletter you can read on there. It's got information. There's been there's been some uh, publicity that's been done by the Village News, the Village Daily Sun, so you'll, there'll be lots of stuff going out. But listen, if you're not a part of any of those activities that are going on, just go make a difference. Go bless somebody um, in some type of a way as we seek to be the hands and feet of Jesus here within our community. Um, growing up on the farm, I have some stories to tell. I'm not going to tell all the stories today because we would never be done here. And uh, but I know what it's like to be stuck. Chris, you ever? Be, you don't know a thing about being stuck. You're a city girl. You know anything about being stuck? Country people know what it's like to be stuck. Anybody ever been stuck before? Oh, do I have some stories to tell? When I was a little kid, my daddy would put me off on a big piece of machinery, and he'd send me off, and I'd be grading roads. And I would probably been 11 or 12 years old. Yes, that's what you do when you work on the farm. You learn how to run big machinery. You learn how to do things. And there were no cell phones, by the way, that you could just call. So daddy would find out where I was at by watching where I had graded roads. And I remember this one time getting hung up on a stump when I was grading roads and I was pulling a ditch and for there I sat and I sat a little bit longer and I sat a little bit longer and finally my dad came and he he found me but I know what it's like to be stuck not only in the heavy equipment I know what it's like to be stuck in a truck because I've been stuck in a truck before I remember riding with the sheriff's department one night as a chaplain and a deputy doing something he never should have done he tried to cross the median. He was a rookie deputy and he crossed the median in a place he never should have crossed. That was not a good phone call he had to make to his lieutenant. Lieutenant, I need some help. I'm just glad that I was with the lieutenant and I wasn't with the rookie cop that night. But I know what some stories. I know what it's like to be stuck physically. But have you ever thought about being stuck spiritually? Now, When I think about being stuck spiritually, what I'm thinking about is just spinning your wheels, doing the same thing over and over and over again. See, that's what you do when you get stuck. If you really don't know what you're doing, what you do is you go back and forth and back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until finally you just realized you're you're stuck. You may be at that place today where you made a decision for Christ a long time ago but all of a sudden, you find yourself going through the motions, doing everything that you're supposed to do, fulfilling all the duties that as believers you're supposed to fulfill. You know, you're going to a missional community, and you're going to a Bible study, and you just got back from a men's retreat, and by the way, you know, you're signed up for the women's event that's coming up. You know, you're going to go to, you're, you're, you're serving in the children's environments, which for all goodness sake, man, that's a, that's a, that's a ticket straight to heaven right there. It's one of the greatest blessings we have to be able to invest in our younger generation, isn't it? But maybe you know what it's like to be, just to be stuck, not going anywhere, just going through the motions. Well, I can imagine what it would have been like to sit down with somebody like Paul and to say, Paul, man, this is what I'm going through and I just want to tell you my story of where I'm at and what I'm experiencing right now. And maybe here's Paul saying something similar to us that he would have said At the same time, when he was speaking to to the believers there at Philippi, when he said this, he said, listen, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved all these things or that I've already reached perfection. Listen, if there was anybody that had had a resume, if there was anybody that had an opportunity to brag about what they had done or where they had been or who they were, it would have been Paul. I mean, a long list. I mean, I've been circumcised. Look, I've, I've been my Jewish heritage. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Pharisee. I've, I've been obedient to the law. And Paul said, listen, all those things, all those things that one, at one point in time I thought were so, so important. I've come to realize that there's more. There's more. Because those things that I thought were most important aren't what's most important. And he goes on to say, and in, in around right there, picking up the verse 13, he says, But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Here is Christ giving his all for me, and I want to be able to give my all to him. He said, No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on what? What does he say? I focus on what? This one thing. I forget the past and I look forward to what lies ahead. I, I press on. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Listen, man, the Winter Olympics gets ready to, to kick off here. When does it happen? This coming Friday or Saturday? Saturday. I don't know if one of those race participants that's, man, just, they're getting all excited and they've prepared for these past several years that they're all just ready to stand at the, at the starting line and say, man, I'm just glad to be here, <laughs> glad to participate. No. Man, they've been training to, to win. There's not one skier, there's not one speed skater that's going to be satisfied with just participating. But when they stand at that starting line, they have... They're working. They've been working. They've been leading up to this time so that they can not only finish the race, but they can win the race. And here's Paul. In everything that he had experienced, and everything that he had accomplished, he knew that there was, there was more. Paul was, Paul was all in. And Paul was smart enough to know that he couldn't finish the race by his own power or strength. I mean, we find just a little bit earlier in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, where, where Paul said this, "For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. In addition to what Paul said there, he goes on to say that Man, God is giving us the desire and power. But he, but he didn't just stop there, but he challenged us to continue to work it out. To accept responsibility for this, this faith journey that we're on, Lisa. Not just to, to be satisfied with coming to church every Sunday. It's more than that. So much more than that. Not to be satisfied with just another Bible study. Not to be satisfied with serving in a place, but realizing that there's more. It's this daily in, in and out process of growing and working out our faith. And Paul didn't say, listen, he said to work out our salvation with deep reverence and fear. And he wasn't saying work for your salvation. What he was saying was he saying work it out. Work it out. Now sometimes people will take this out of context and they'll say that, man, you can lose your salvation or you have to work for your salvation, but that's not true. It's not true at all. That Greek word that's used to for, for work it out means to continually work to bring something to completion or fruition. See, you've been there. You know what? Let's define it really simply. For parents, you ever told your kids, you go work it out? You go work it out. I don't want to deal with it no more. You, you, you two of you, you go work it out. What I'm saying is go fix it. Don't come back until it's fixed. Maybe you had an employer and what do they say? Go work it out. Get her done finish it up, what you started, complete it, carry it out. When you say work it out, it sort of brings about this tension, though, doesn't it? Because anytime you work something out, there's going to be tension and there's going to be stretching. And what that stretching does is it produces stronger muscles. Paul, though, even though knowing that salvation was a free gift... He knew that we needed to see it out to completion. We needed to work it out. We work something out. We work salvation out when we agree with what the Scriptures have to say. And then we begin to seek to live it out in our everyday life. Let me tell you what working it out looks like. Here it is. You have every right in the world to be bitter and angry and mad as a hornet. And yet you choose to forgive And that's working it out I mean you have every right in the world to be mad to fight and yet you choose peace that's working it out that's what it's like to work out your faith to choose here's what I feel like doing and I know that God is giving me the desire and he's giving me the power But what I'm going to do is I'm going to choose love, and I'm going to choose joy, and I'm going to choose peace, and I'm going to choose, are you with me? This is what I feel like, but because I've chosen to work it out and see it to completion and finish the race, my life is going to be different. And here's Paul writing to Timothy, and this is what he said, and man, this is a great passage for all believers to listen to, because he comes back here and he says to Timothy in chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, he said, "Listen, don't waste your time arguing, arguing. Wagging your tongue. You can sit around, man, we sit around a lot of times as believers and we share all kinds of, of, of ideas and we share, share all kinds of tales, of things. But here's Paul looking at Timothy and said he says, train, and said, train yourself to be godly. For physical training is good, but training for godliness is much. Better. Now, some of us can use that. See, I told you, I told you you don't have to go down to the gym and work out. See what the Bible says? <laughs> not what he's saying. Physical training is important. But he said not as important as training for godliness, because it's much better. Promising benefits in this life is what he says and in this life to come. Here it is simply, Timothy, watch out, don't get caught up, spinning your wheels, having all these conversations, going from place to place, trying to argue about what's right, what's not right. Don't do that. Don't do that. He said, but train yourself. Know the scriptures. Grow in godliness. Do those things which will train you to be godly. The promise benefits not only in the temporary, but the eternal as well. Give your time and attention to those things that matter. And just as an athlete trains, you train. You train in the study of God's word. You train in the memorization of God's word. What was it we learned last week? Memorize the scripture to minimize sin. Memorize to minimize. Sometimes we wonder, why am I struggling with all the things that I'm struggling? I mean, Listen, how many scriptures are you memorizing in reference to that? To saying, God, listen, man, I'm working it out. All of us should say, that's me. That's me. To the believers at Colossae, this is what Paul said, and now, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. There's more. Man, just don't stop with making a decision to trust Jesus. There's more to that. There's more beyond baptism. There's more beyond that first initial time of saying that you want to trust Christ and you want to follow him. There's more to that. And he goes on, let your roots say, he says this in verse 7, let your roots grow down deep in him. And I don't know what you think about, what you think about deep roots. I don't think about women in hairdos, okay? It's not what I think about. Y'all are supposed to laugh, that's supposed to be funny. (laughs) For the hairdressers in here, they know exactly what I'm talking about. But here it is, I think about a maturing tree. I got a picture in my office, and in my office there's some maturing trees that are down this long this long corridor, this long road leading to a light. When I think about deep roots, I think about something that's mature, something that's, that's been there for a long time. Deep roots because where there are deep roots, when the storms come, those trees are still secure. Shallow roots, when the storms come, the winds blow. Well, we know what that's like. How many people had trees that didn't have deep roots when the storms came through, and as a result, what they do? He turned over. Big Live Oak has deep, deep roots. He said, let your roots grow down deep into him. And let your lives be built on him. There's no other foundation that is laid than that which is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source. Jesus is our foundation. And look at what he goes on to say. He says, then your faith, then your faith will grow strong in the truths that you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Now, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, you must continue to follow him. That your roots go down deep. That your lives be built on him day by day, by choice by choice. And then, when all of that, and as you're working it out, he said, then your faith will grow strong in the truths that you were taught. You'll begin to understand and see things that before you've never begun to understand or see. And he said, you will begin to overflow with thankfulness because you will receive and understand just how blessed you are and how awesome our Heavenly Father is. So I ask a question in the midst of all these few things that I've talked about. How is it? How is it that we can be a professing believer... Do church, go to church, practice church, and still be stuck in spiritual adolescence. How is that? How is I mean, how is it that we can be going through the motions, spinning our wheels, doing all this stuff that really doesn't matter? To, to what did they say? A hill of beans doesn't amount to a hill of beans. It's all about the temporary and going nowhere and stuck and discouraged and despondent. How is it that we can be stuck in spiritual adolescence? Back in the 1960s, there was a man by the name of Eric Erickson who was a psychologist. And Erickson came up with this theory of development. And in this theory, he said that as a teenager or a young adult, He said, there will come a point in time when all of us face a crisis of identity. In other words, try to figure out who we are apart from our parents, apart from our family. So we'll go through this crisis of identity. And Erickson went on to say that when a person doesn't have a good sense of who they are, they'll get stuck in this this sense of adolescence uh, because of this identity crisis. Um. And you know what? The same thing can happen in our own faith journey. Because you don't understand who you are, your intent, you want to give your life to Christ. But because you don't understand who you are, you don't understand your true identity, there is a struggle that takes place. You know, you, you think about it in reference to, to teenagers' And you can see that when all of a sudden their dress begins to change. And all of a sudden their speech begins to change. And all of a sudden, you know, the people that they begin to hang around or the way that they wear their hair. But you see it in adults too, don't you? There's this crisis of an identity. And you hear in, in reference to Christianity, you have a person that trusts Christ. Yet there is no growth towards maturity and fullness. There's no working it out, Troy. Where's the working it out? And even though they may be carrying on all of this stuff that they're going through, walking through all of these rituals and activities, there isn't any growth towards Christ-likeness. And when we don't know who we are in Christ, we're left searching for significance in other places. See, when you don't know that salvation is a free gift, you'll spend the rest of your life trying to work for it. Are we on the same wavelength? Are we clicking? It may be in stuff that you put your significance. It may be in appearance. It may be relationships. It may be positions or at work within the community. It could be in the area of, of health and fitness. How many people find their identity in a favorite professional football team? Or a college team? And so we place our identity in these things that maybe bring temporary satisfaction or what we do is we come to embrace God's invitation to lose our lives and to find identity in him. This is what Mark had to say. He says it this way in verse 35, chapter 8. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, Jesus said, and for the sake of the good news, you'll save it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but you lose your own soul? Here we are coming to trust Christ, and when we come to trust Christ, we're invited to a place where we place our confidence in Him, and we experience a new identity. For the guys that are walking in a, in a discipleship class with me in Second Corinthians chapter five verse 17, you find, you find this verse. "Listen, this means that anybody who's in Christ is a, is a new creature. You're new, the old is gone, the new has begun. Listen, when we come to know Christ, the the old person's gone. You're a new person, you're a new person. And that's what Paul would have said to the believers at Corinth and to the believers in Galatia. Paul would have said, listen, myself, I've been crucified with Christ, therefore I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. The life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So what is it that keeps us from not getting stuck in this adolescent faith? What is it? It's understanding who we are and our true identity. Man, this is so much on my mind because I've been reading this book with these guys and I'm, I'm just thinking, man, this is, so, this is so appropriate for me. And so I've got to be able to share this with you because I've, if I think, man, this is something that I struggle with, I thought, man, I've got to give this to you. So I'm not going to charge you anything for this. <laughs> I want to take some of the notes over the next several weeks. I want to give you some of the things that I've been reading within this that are that are so scriptural and yet they're so basic, but they're so vital to every one of us that are in here. Because I listen, I know you, John. I know you, and 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 Linda. I know you, Luke. I know you, and I. You know, John. I know you, and Chris. man, I know you. I like Joyce better, but I know you. <laughs> and I know Randy. And let me tell you what, guys, it's easy for us to be able to get stuck. It's easy for us to find ourselves at a place that we just feel like we're spinning our wheels and, and doing all this stuff and going where and why. And this whole, this whole series is going to be understanding our true identity in Christ and what the Scriptures have to say. And who we are as a Christ follower. And so here's Peter. Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter 2. And you can turn your Bibles to this. And we're going to sit here just for a couple of minutes. This is going to be a focal passage. Because we're going we're to hear what Peter has to say to us. And who he identifies us as. And some of the characteristics of a, of a Christ follower. Some of the identifying factors of who our identity is. And so here we have in 1 Peter chapter 2 and leading up to this, let me remind you of who Peter was talking to. First of all, he was talking to the Jews that had been scattered because of the persecution back in Jerusalem. So you've got these believers that had been displaced. They're off in these areas and they're living, trying to live out their faith as best as they know how. But you have to remember, they weren't raised in First Baptist Church or First Methodist Church or First Lutheran Church or whatever it may have been, they weren't raised that way. I mean, you're talking about early first century church. These are the basics. You know what they knew? Jesus. All this other stuff, they didn't understand it. And so it's so easy to get absorbed and taken in by the culture that's around us and try to marry them together. But here's Peter writing to these people that had been displaced, and he's writing them to encourage them to say, listen... I want to tell you who you are. There may be these things that are in your mind that thinks you know that have led you astray, but I want to bring you back to reality to tell you who you are in Christ. I want to tell you what your true identity is, Ashley. I want you to know that even though you may have an earthly father, you have a heavenly father, and that He loves you. Man, He cares deeply for you, and He's going to give us some characteristics. And so here's Peter, and he's, and, he's, and he's getting ready to speak, but before, right before this passage here in, in verse 9, he's talked an awful lot about stumbling blocks and about things in reference to Christ. And there were people stumbled over Christ because he didn't come the way they thought he should come. They were expecting a king. They were expecting a conqueror. They were expecting somebody to come and suffer. They weren't expecting somebody to come and give their life. Man, they were expecting somebody to come in and take charge. So he didn't meet the criteria. He didn't meet the characteristics that they had thought of in their mind. And so he said, listen, there are lots of people that have, that have struggled. They've stumbled over Jesus because he doesn't look the way that they thought he should look or act the way that they thought he should act. And look at what he says here in verse 9 in chapter 2 in 1 Peter. And he says to them, those believers that have been persecuted, but you are not like that. You're not like that. You're not stumbling around trying to find your place. You're not like that. He said, you're not like that because you've learned. You know who Jesus is and you want to obey him. And look at some of the adjectives that he, that he throws in there. I guess that's right. These are some adjectives. Okay. Look at how he describes them. Look at what he says. But you're not like that for you. For you. You might underline all the you's that you find in here. This isn't cheap either, okay? Us. Y-O-U. For you are a chosen people. You are a royal priest. A holy nation. God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. And here's the thought: When all of a sudden we begin to recognize what Peter was saying, he's speaking to us. Because listen, every day you're at the point of compromising your faith. Hello? Did you hear what I said? See, every day, there's a battle that wages for you. for you to compromise. For you to compromise in your relationships, for you to compromise in your beliefs, for you to compromise in um, all kinds of areas, popularity, whatever it may be, you're being challenged to be a compromiser. No, persecution, but there is persecution, and you feel it. And that's why every day you're being challenged. Your faith, the faith that you hold on to, is being challenged every day. Why do you think Paul would have said, work it out? Work it out, because in those times, work it out. Work it out to finality. Work it out to completion. Hold on to it. And look at some of the, look at some of the words that he used in reference to, to, to pointing them out so that we can move ahead in our faith. He said, I want you to grasp your identity as followers of Christ, so that you can move ahead in your faith journey. And look at some of those. A child of God, a priest, his bride, a a holy nation, his servant, God's friend, an alien in the culture, an alien in strangers, an ambassador. And when we see ourselves, and when we recognize our true identity, let me tell you something, it makes a difference and it impacts your life and how you make decisions. My mother said something to me the other day. I have to talk about my mom, she said, uh, talking about another family member, and she said, uh, y'all ever do that? (laughs) (laughs) She said, well, honey, you know, they just had a bad string of luck. And I said, no, mom. I said, that's not true. That's a lie from the devil. I said, they just made a lot of bad choices. That's not bad luck. It's bad choices. We wonder why things go the way that they do. Everything flows out of what we believe. How we live and how we make our decisions flows from our identity. You wonder why you do some of the things that you do. I wonder why I do some of the things that I do. Out of what I believe. The things that I believe. You may never thought that what you believe is so important, but it is. I'm not saying what you say, because what you say may differ from what you do. What I'm saying is what you do is a reflection of what you truly believe. Our new identity in Christ just isn't a list of things for us to be able to do, but it's the reality of who we are. The story is told... Part in this book I read this story and I've known this but there was a after Martin Luther King was assassinated this teacher tried to explain to her class what discrimination was all about in this all-white community in Iowa she had a very difficult time trying to explain why anybody would want to to assassinate or kill Dr. Martin Luther King and so she came back to school um, the following day with an experiment that she wanted to try, which has become a very famous experiment came to prove an awful lot of points, but she took her children when they walked in the room and she gave them an identity, a new identity. And as they walked in the classroom and they sat down for class that day, she said, I just want you guys to know I've not told you some things, but I really need to tell you guys today. All of you brown eyed children are really your special people. I never told you that before. But if you've got brown eyes, I want you to know that you're very, very special. And today, all of you get to sit at the front of the classroom. In addition to that, you're gonna get some extra recess time today because you're special. Those of you that are blue-eyed children, I want you to know that that you guys are are not that special. And I also want you to know that as a result of not being special, that you have to wear this special collar. That special collar was used so that they could be seen from a far off distance. At recess that day, there were all kinds of activities that took place on the recess field. For those of you uh, don't know what recess is, it's like playtime, all right? You don't have that anymore. <laughs> we used to have that in the school system back years ago. <laughs> Fighting, bickering, complaining, whining, fight, I mean, just all kinds of stuff happening. And the and, uh, teacher took her notes and she made some very significant discoveries. The next day the kids came in and she said, guys I, I am so, so sorry I was wrong she said it's really not the brown eyed children that are that are favored she said it's really the blue eyed and um, so, so the blue eyed children got a chance to move to the front and the brown eyed children had the ones that were, they lost their time at recess, they had the day before they had to wear the collars and they made some very significant, very monumental Um, discoveries during that time. She recorded how the label that she placed on them affected their personality, it affected their attitude, even their academic performance. It affected everything about them. Such a simple test yet such great insight. Um, And you say, well what's the parallel for us? Parallel exist, how often do we live if, if this we are collared with these religious rituals? Um, the regulations and the false identities that don't do anything but weigh us down and rob us. Are you with me? Are we clicking? You know, how how often do we do we put these things on us, these identities that are not ours? I mean, here's Paul in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1 saying, So Christ has set you free. Make sure that you stay free and don't get tied up again in all the slavery of the law. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because I'm a child of the king, listen, you may not have a great relationship with your earthly dad, but you can grow to trust your heavenly father. Because you're a priest, I don't have to go through Sydney or Brian or Melvin or Sheila or anybody else. Man, I have direct access to the heavenly father. As a bride, I get the privilege of honoring my Lord with my life and remaining faithful to him alone. As a servant, I can serve him faithfully. As God's friend, I can hang out with him anytime that I want to hang out with him. As an alien in this world, I recognize that this home is not my final resting place. But Jesus is in heaven preparing a place for me that one day I'm going to be able to spend eternity with him. And I'm God's ambassador. I get the privilege of speaking and acting on his behalf every day. Yet the voices that we are subject to that says you aren't worthy, you aren't valued, you are no good, you don't measure up, you don't fit in, nobody loves you, nobody cares, You're a, they're all a lie. Not one of them are true because our identity isn't based on our weight, our identity isn't based on the color of hair that we have, the car that we drive, the position that we hold or the subdivision that we live in. Teenagers, listen to me. The devil will try to do everything he can to try to convince you that your value is based on a type of phone that you possess. That is a lie from the pits of hell. How many fights, raise your hands, have gone on in the houses because certain phones? I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Run me over. Put me out. Your value is not based on how many friends you've got on Twitter or Instagram or even Snapchat. Snapchat. Whether or not you've got a boyfriend or a girlfriend, who sits at your table at lunch, or whether or not you made the team. These are all lives and they are destructive and they are deadly if you believe that. Adults, that message is for you as well. As a follower of Jesus, I'm a child of the king and our daddy owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He doesn't love us because we're lovable. There's a lot of you that are not lovable. I'm not lovable at times. He loves us because, in spite of. (laughs) Isn't that great? And he doesn't run from us, but he runs to us. As bad as you may be, man, God, listen, he runs to embrace us. Our identity is from God and in God, and this truth changes the parameters of life. Because when we begin to believe what God has to say, it changes the way that we live. Are we on the same page? Do you get this? Or maybe is this just for me and you're, you're a part of getting a chance to listen to it? Man, when I begin to see who I am in Christ and I understand what Peter was saying and I begin to hold on to those identities, it begins to change things. It changes the way I live. Peter says, but you're not like that. Mm-mm. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> Sidney, he chose you. Steve, he chose you. And Dan, he chose... And Johnny, yes. And Tom, he chose you too. And Lester, he chose you. Brian, yeah. He chose us. We're royal priests. We're a holy nation. We're the bride of Christ. We're God's own possession. And as a result, when we begin to believe that, we come to recognize the significance of what Peter says. And to begin to to live it out. And he goes on to say, when we begin to live those out, you can show others the goodness of God because he called us out of darkness and into his wonderful light. When we begin to get get it, it causes us to want to honor him with our lives because we know there's so much at stake. That's a big deal. We want to make his name Known. The opposite of freedom is what? Let me say that again. Little group participation. The opposite of freedom is slavery or bondage. Whereas God wants us to experience life to the fullest, the devil wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Satan does everything he can to try to rob us. And you can listen to the lies. But they'll lead you astray. Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? We're going to talk about that next week. Because anytime you talk about fathers, it can bring up tremendous amounts of pain as well as joy. Who's your heavenly father? There was a story from from Jewish prisoners about how they would rob them of their identity. Um, those that survived the Nazi concentration camps told stories afterwards of how the Germans, uh, under Hitler's regime, would try to remove their identity. Because if they could remove their identity, what they would do is they would, they would kill their motivation to fight back and rebel. There was one, one account that was written, and I'll, I'll paraphrase this for you really quickly. One man said this after arriving at the camp, they took us into a room, they removed our clothes, and when we were completely naked, they shaved us. After being washed, they tattooed us with numbers, and it was this number that became our new identity. No more names were shared from then on out. 006754, come here now. And after a period of time, With the loss of the identity and under the harshest conditions and pressures the reality was we didn't even want to fight back we just existed a number with no hope that's exactly the way satan wants us to feel he wants us to lose our identity in him he wants to rob us from the reality of the position that we have in christ my parents have been having some problems with a big box retailer over some issues and son's got to come to the rescue. So I drove up not long ago and, and I, I called. This has been an ongoing issue and, and um, the manager didn't pick up so I decided I was gonna drive. And um, I went to the store and um, He was there, and I met with him, and I sat down, and I had to remember whose I was when I went because I wasn't a happy camper. (laughs) Messed up my time schedule. had to go out of my way, and I didn't like that because I wasn't there specifically to do that, but I had to do it, and I sat down with him, and I said to you, I smiled, and I said, Hey, (laughs) I said I wanted you to be able to see me face to face because I wanted you to know that there was an identity behind that that voice on the phone. And there was a name behind that voice on the phone. And there was, um, there was a face behind that, that voice and there was also a story. And I want you to see it because I, because I want you to know we're important. Are you with me? Not a number. That's what it is like in big business a lot of times these days. You start off that customer service is really important until all of a sudden you become a number. You're number who? What's your service order? No, no, I, I'm a face with a name. A name and with a story. And I want you to know, know who this face and name and story is. That's why I wanted to look you in the eye and I wanted to sit down and talk to you. And our Heavenly Father doesn't treat us that way. He, knows you, he knew, knew you before you ever formed. And He knows every hair on your head. And He knows your name. And you're not a somebody. You're his. You're his child. You're important. Over the next several weeks, what I want to do is I want to walk through this passage. I would love for us to be able to grasp the significance of what Peter's saying here because I think it's big. I think it's even bigger than what I understand right now. But see, I know you because I know you wrestle with your identity because we don't always live in our identity in Christ. I want us to come to we grasp this so much that it radically changes how we live. Leslie, when man, when you're cleaning teeth in there in that dentist office, I want you to recognize, man, I'm a child of the king. Yeah, I might be employed over here, but I'm a child of the king. I'm a priest. I'm a holy nation. Man, I want us to understand, I want us to think about that because when we begin to think about our true identity, it changes how Vince. It's a big deal. Man, this is a big deal when all of a sudden we begin to recognize. We don't give in to the lies of the devil, but we recognize who we are. And as we talk through this series, I'm going to speak to all of us as if we're a follower of Christ. Understanding and recognizing that there will be some here that don't know Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But I'm going to speak to you as if, as if we are I'm going to assume that you've made that decision. I'm going to assume that you've, you're seeking to live for him. But my prayer is that if you're here and that you aren't a believer, that at some point in life you'll be prompted to submit and to humble and to give your life to Christ. Not because it's your ticket to heaven, but because it's your ticket to life. Are we on the same page? I think this is great. There's a book that we're reading or we just got through reading and I, I got a couple minutes so I can read this. There was this point in this, this book that we had read and uh, it's a, a book that's um, about this really high-powered executive named Steve and he's at conflict at home. He's got conflict going on in, the, in his business. Uh, there's just a lot of stress that's on him and, he, and he's got this bottled up anger and in the midst of it, he explodes one night and his wife kicks him out of his, out of his house. And so he finds uh, this guy by the name of Andy who ends up approaching him. He's this, this eccentric older guy. And uh, they have these encounters where, where Andy's trying to help Stephen repair his life trying to help him make, make sense of things. So he's, he's walking with him in this season of life where everything is just falling apart. And Stephen's acting like a jerk, and yet Andy continues to be a friend that listens. Listens to him. And so, so anyway, he, he, wants, he wants Stephen to be able to experience God's grace and, he, and his love that God's been waiting for him um, and he, he's just trying to move him along and help discipling him at this season in his life. And they're in this one scene. They're out on a boat and uh, they're having this conversation about freedom in Christ. And Stephen turns to Andy and he asked him, and I'm going to read this from there on out. So if God took our shame away, then why doesn't everyone experience that freedom, Andy said. I don't really know, but it isn't because we aren't sincere or educated enough. We just haven't learned how to trust what God says is true about us. It's just that simple. See, those nice theological concepts, they really don't do an awful lot for you, do they? And it's not a matter of willpower or screwing yourself up or believing what you don't yet believe. It's just being willing to try on some new clothing. You're new. Think about what it looks like if if you believe what really took the shame and took the shame away and that the person no longer needed to be listened to. Until we believe what Jesus says, he did, Andy said, it's hard to accept the lies we tell ourselves and replace them with the real identity that God is handing us every day. See, he offers this new life, the life we're trying to fake our way with our self-stories and it comes without any condemnation. He's smiling with his arm wrapped around us, looking at our messed up lives together with us, and he's saying he's crazy about us the whole time. Nothing surprises him or makes him, want us, makes him want to run from us. See, he knows about our problems. He knows about all the junk that's going on behind the scenes that nobody else sees. Even your spouses. He knows about all that stuff. He's known about our problems from the beginning of the world. And he knows where we're headed now. And it champs his shame. The boat began to slow and it idled. So Jesus asks us to trust him. Not fake it or perform for him. Slowly, we'll discover there are some others that we can grow. That we can grow and introduce to that same type of trust. And he says, even a guy as screwed up as me can give a friend a safe place. Even a man as flawed as I am can help a friend rewrite his story—the story of Christ coming through me—and that's me on the worst day. Man, listen—I know this. It's easy to get stuck. It's easy to find ourselves in a rut. It's easy to get stuck after accepting Christ. And to be at that place, we're just spinning our wheels, listening to the wrong messages. you got to work it out. He's not saying accept responsibility for salvation. That's been paid for. Work it out to completion. Hold on to that which has been taught, which has been written for us. We don't have to do it blindly. Can you imagine the people that Peter was speaking to? They didn't have it. We got it. We got the written word and the Holy Spirit is <laughs> not back in the temple and it's not back in the tabernacle, but it's here and he resides within you. We have the ability to live it out. I want us to be able to understand. I want to have a better understanding of my true identity because it will be life-changing for me as well as you. Can I pray over you today? Father, what a great day it is for us to be able to gather and to listen to what your word has to say. I'm reminded that it's so easy. There are times, Father, when I just get to the place of spinning my wheels. Easy to get stuck doing the same old thing over and over and over again and not getting any traction. To listen to the lives of Satan. And not believe the truth of what Christ has said about us. I pray for each and every one of us that are here. That God that we would have ears to hear. And that you would give us the desire and the power to live it out. As we walk through. If there's that person that's here today that doesn't know you. Which, which I know that there are. Father I'm praying that you would begin to just really do a work. There would be an unsettledness in their heart. And, and Father even this morning. There might be somebody that would come that would come to one of our overseers that'll be standing up front that would say, you know, I don't know a lot about Jesus, but I surely would like to know some more. Would you tell me? Father, I pray that for that person that even this morning you would give them boldness. For those of us that have been convicted of certain things, even as we close out our service, this is a place of decision-making, a time of, of... of, uh, of counsel, of encouragement, of prayer. So if you're here today and that's you, just inviting you to come as we close out our service. Father, as we walk out of this place today, as we leave this place, remind us whose we are. And in the reality, I pray that we would live out those, live out of, of our true identity in Christ. May we make a difference in this world. May we be your ambassador. That's what I pray in Jesus' name, amen.